I know I was talking about how good it is to have the gospel presented before the sermon. I just thought the only disadvantage is you hear it so many times before the sermon, you may think you don't need a sermon now. But I prepared one, so you're getting it, okay? So um, don't leave. Turn to Nehemiah 4. Nehemiah 4, Mike has preached the last two weeks on Nehemiah, and uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to continue that. Page 506 in your Pew uh, Bible, if you're using that. You know, I love good movies that tell good stories. I especially love the ones that begin with the words based on a true story. Um, there's an incredible challenge or obstacle presented, and then someone against all odds endures and um, completes the mission. I love such movies. And uh, Nehemiah, I think, is, is one of those true stories. Um, in 586, about 2,600 years ago, God allowed Babylon to destroy Jerusalem, including the temple and the wall, and take the people captive because of their di- disobedience. And he promised to restore the temple 70 years later, which seemed almost impossible. But about 47 years later, the Persians come in, defeat the Babylonians, and then, um, amazingly, they allow the Jews to go rebuild the temple exactly 70 years after it was destroyed. In 445, Nehemiah is convinced God is calling him to return to Jerusalem in order to rebuild this decimated city and, uh, or decimated wall specifically. And King Artaxerxes allows him to do that. And in chapter 2, Nehemiah gives his motivational speech to the Jews when he returns, those who are still around. In chapter 3, we have a description of all the lay, average lay people who start moving Huge rocks day in and day out to rebuild the wall. It's not easy. Many of them, um, many people around them did not want them to be rebuild this wall. And uh, so they made it really hard for them to do what God was calling them to do. And some of them grew discouraged. So let's pick up the story in chapter 4. We're going to read through the whole chapter. Nehemiah 4. Now when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall... He was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews, and he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble or weak Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and said, yes, what are they building if a fox goes up on it? Will he break it down? Will he break down their stone wall? Hear, O God. For we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt. Do not let their sin be blotted out from your sight. For they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. So we built the wall. And all the wall has joined together. It's half its height. For the people had a mind to work. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that they were repairing the walls of Jerusalem that the repairs of the the walls of Jerusalem was going forward, that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and cause confusion in it. We prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. In Judah it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There's too much rubble. By ourselves we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said they will not know or see till we 
come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came in all directions and said to us, ten times, you must return to us. So the wall... So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, in open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and all the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. From that day on, half my servants worked on construction, half held the spears, the shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped on his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And I said to the nobles and the officials and the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread. We are separated on the wall far from one another. And the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. So we labored at the work, and half of them held the spear from the break of dawn to the stars came. I also said to the people at that time, let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem, that, there, that they may be a guard for us by night and may labor by day. So neither I nor my brothers nor servants nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off their clothes. Each kept his weapon at his right hand. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Praise you, God, that this is your word and not ours. Praise you, Holy Spirit, that you work in our hearts in ways much deeper than we can even ask for. And we pray the gospel through this passage of Nehemiah would encourage us all, and especially those who are discouraged this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, many of you have heard and read about the life of John Bunyan. He lived in the 1600s with no formal education besides some training to read and write by his father. Uh, he became a, a tinker, um, like his, a metal worker, like his father was. His mother and sister both died when he was 15 years old, about a month apart. He married a Christian woman and then became a Christian after that. And um, even after being a Christian for a while, he still had... S- just serious seasons of doubt and discouragement. He, um, one, at one point of his, his life of being a Christian, he, he wrote, <clears throat> he said um, that it was hard work to pray to God because despair was swallowing me up. That's what he said. Despair was swallowing me up. He continued to mature in his faith. In his late 20s, he began to preach as a layperson in his church. And uh, people sensed the presence of God in him, and hundreds would come to hear him preach, this little metal worker. A few years later, it became illegal to preach in England, and Bunyan went to prison because he refused to stop preaching. He had just lost his wife about a year or two earlier and had remarried, and she was pregnant when they, he went to prison, and she lost that baby soon after. He had four children. His oldest was named Mary, and she was blind. And that's how he began his 12 years in prison because he refused to preach. It was there in the midst of such circumstances that John Bunyan wrote what would become the second most 
the best-selling book written in English called Pilgrim's Progress. It's a story of a man named Christian on his journey towards, of life towards the heavenly city. And in one chapter, Christian finds himself captured by giant despair and thrown into a dungeon called Doubting Castle. There they became discouraged and lost all hope. I think it's pretty obvious why Bunyan in such circumstances might write such an allegory. Few of us have gone through that kind of suffering. But it doesn't mean we can't relate with times of losing hope and becoming quite discouraged on our own life journey. Discouragement simply means to lose hope or courage or confidence. And all of us have, uh, have experienced such times of discouragement to one degree or another. Uh, for some, they, these are short, infrequent times. For others, discouragement has come to seem almost like normal life. Discouragement can come from times of great suffering, like in the case of Bunyan, or it can arise from much smaller things. Uh, for instance, I asked Pastor Matt this week um, what some of his sources of discouragement were. And he said, um, without hesitation, he pointed to his face. He said, have you seen this sore on my nose? He said, it's, this sore is my source of discouragement this week. It hurts so bad. It makes me seem like, look like Rudolph. No, I don't think he mentioned Rudolph. I, I think I was just thinking that. But anyway, um, but in this chapter, Nehemiah teaches us a lot about how to endure such times of discouragement, whether large or small. Um, Nehemiah had been clearly called to go rebuild this wall in Jerusalem. The people got really excited about it, but then came the opposition, and with it the discouragement. And yet they endured. Yet they endured. And although I believe that discouragement is a uh, normal part of living life in a fallen world, I do not believe it is God's will for any of us to wallow in discouragement or remain discouraged. And so I want you and I want myself to leave here ready to do battle with it. We're going to look at two things. The sources of discouragement, some sources of discouragement, and then ways to endure the discouragement. So let's look at some sources. Now I realize this is a complicated subject. There are many different sources of discouragement that I will not mention this morning. But I think there are a few we can relate with and are obvious here in our passage. I'm going to stick with those that are obvious from our passage. And I'm going to phrase them all in the way that we might say them or think them. Okay. So number one, I'm not good enough is a source of discouragement. Let's pick up the story in verse 1, where this guy named Sanballat hears that they're starting to rebuild the wall and he gets really angry. Now, don't be deceived, because um, I know this, guy's, uh, this guy sounds like the name of a, a really bad guy in a cheesy B-rated movie, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, um, just before the prince was about to save the princess, Sanballat arrived, you know? like sandbag come on there's a lot of other bad guy names but uh this guy really was a bad guy uh he was sandbag was the governor of samaria which meant he was very well connected he had a lot of influence and he probably was really angry because if he knew that if the holy city got rebuilt and the walls got rebuilt 
and started to, Jerusalem started to regain prominence, then his own influence over the surrounding cities would lose their influence. So he, he starts to figure out how to discourage them from this wall, from this work. In verse 1 to 3, it says he began jeering. We're jeering it. It, it almost see, seems like a scene from like an elementary school playground, right? Where the bully goes up to people. He starts jeering and making fun of them from 1 to 3. But if you, if you notice in verse 2, this was more like an organized protest. Because he brought a bunch of other people with him. And even an army, it says. That's some serious taunting and ridicule. You can almost imagine him grabbing a microphone as they stare down at all the workers, you know, looking at uh, building the wall. And you say, what are these feeble, weak Jews doing? If you read chapter 3, you'll notice that, um, chapter 3, by the way, is a, a list of all the people working on the wall. You'll notice that he's partially true. Partially right. These aren't trained contractors or construction workers. These are a group of ordinary men and women, even children are mentioned, made up of different ages with all kinds of different trades. And if I could just, if I could just digress for one minute on a side note, chapter 3 really is, it is a beautiful picture of God's people doing God's work. I mean, it seems just like this random list of names, but it's a beautiful picture because there's, there's a few cr- trained clergy, but most were lay people. And over and over, it describes one person being, quote, next to the other, all working together to build this wall. And here at UPC, I, I think we have, we, have our, we, have our, we have some clergy, we have some professional missionaries doing some incredible things around the world, but man... Don't let anybody think as a layperson that your calling that God has given you in your business, your realm, is any way less important. Every Christian has a ministry gift and a ministry calling, and we're all working side by side next to one another, doing God's work together. I love that about our church. Okay, back to Nehemiah. (laughs) So these... These were just ordinary people in one way. But more than that, they were a conquered people with a destroyed city, without even a wall, a king, or an army. And many of them simply closed down their jewelry shops or their shoe shops and just kind of went out and like, okay, I can move rocks. It probably didn't take much for them to think, yeah, maybe we are weak. Maybe we're not strong enough. Shame is a really powerful source of discouragement. Ever since Adam and Eve realized they were naked in Genesis 3, we're all born with a disposition to get discouraged when someone exposes that we are not all we want or think or pretend to be. I think much of my own discouragement in my life has come from comparing myself to others and feeling like I'm not as good or qualified to do something as they are. For example, I felt a calling to ministry in college, uh, but I really resisted uh, becoming a pastor for a long time, even after being a missionary and going to seminary. Even after being in seminary, I was like, I can't do that. I found people in seminary much smarter, much more well-spoken, much um, more fruitful in ministry than me. And I think a lot of my discouragement came from feeling like I I would never be a good enough pastor not like them. I still struggle with this at times. 
And I hear the question, what is this weak guy doing being a pastor at times? You ever asked yourself that? Remove the word pastor. Discouragement can easily set in when Satan whispers such things and our fallen self listens and we begin to turn our eyes inward toward our ordinariness, if that's a word. Many great and godly leaders in the Bible even, they wrestled with this same thing. I'm not good enough for what God has called me to. One of the most notable is Moses. God has called him to confront Pharaoh. Who am I? The NLT says, Moses says this to God. I'm not very good with words. I've never been and I'm not now. I get tongue-tied and my words get tangled. That's what he told God. I'm weak. I'm not good enough to do what you've called me to do. And I think Moses probably continued to feel discouragement throughout his ministry, I think. I would imagine most of us have felt discouragement like this. Maybe you have heard such words from others, such in Nehemiah's case. Maybe it came from a parent or a boss. I met with someone this week who... Um, in our church who said that his, their boss always finds ways to co- communicate that they're never doing well enough and it's discouraging. It could be just a voice from within who suddenly says to you, you're just not good enough. You're not smart enough. You're not righteous enough. You're too weak. I know many struggle with this uh, just by simply not feeling like a good enough Christian and their shame from not being overcome to Certain, over, certain struggles or addictions or see some sanctification in some area. I'm not good enough. And that's a source of discouragement. The second source of discouragement would be the task is too hard. Sanballat continues in verse 2. Will they revive the stones out of, out of heaps of rubbish and burn ones at that? You hear what he's saying? He wants them to look at how hard it will actually be to do what God's called them to do. Let's, let's, let's take a look at this. Now, again, there's actually a little truth there. Uh, this is a massive wall. It's about 8 foot wide, 30, 40 foot high that they're trying to rebuild, made up of stones that weigh hundreds of pounds each. And now it all lays in ruins. And some of them were either limestone rocks that had been burned. And so he's like, this is ashes, unstable. Are there areas in your life where you feel that God has called you to do something, but you just feel discouragement because it seems too hard. Most of us have relationships that are like this. You know God has called you to befriend or love a really hard person. There might even be years of brokenness and the hope of friendship or intimacy you feel like is just completely torn down. Maybe even ashes. The calling to rebuild or simply endure this relationship is just too hard. No, no doubt relationships can be a source of such discouragement in our lives. Maybe you feel discouragement because you feel God's calling you to step out of your comfort zone in some area of ministry. You want to live with more courage, more boldness, but you consistently find a fear of failure because it seems too hard. It's just too hard to actually initiate And love my lost neighbor. It's too difficult to make my faith known at work. I might be jeered at. Discouragement can easily come in such areas of calling where we think it's just too too hard. Number three, a source of discouragement is uh, not, it's just not turning out as I thought it would. 
See, when Sanballat and Tobiah realized the mocking isn't working, the walls were continuing to be built, verse 8, you look at verse 8, they all plotted together. They moved to action. They recruited an army from the Arabs, the Ammonites, the Ashadites, Ashadites, and they, they start plotting to attack the workers. Verse 11 shows their goal was terrorism. We'll just slip in when we can, maybe at night, and kill them with the goal of confusion. Verse 12 says that their even, fellow, even their fellow Jews who lived near them came over ten times to encourage them to stop this. Just, just give it up. It's too hard. <clears throat> and it seems their plan was working. The people grew discouraged. You see the Hebrew, look at verse 10. The Hebrew in verse 10, it shows they were actually, it's more like a poem or a song they came up with and they started to pass it around. The strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There's too much rubble by ourselves and we will not be able to build the wall. We're too weak. We're not good enough. The task is too hard. And I don't know about you, but um, I would have been not only discouraged, but I probably would have been asking the question, if God has called me to this area of ministry, why is it so hard? Why? You ever suddenly ask that question? If he's called me to love this spouse or parent these children or work at this job or go to school in this area or have these friends, why is it so hard? Why hasn't he removed more of the challenges or the suffering involved? I think that God's people could have easily been thinking that then as well. It's easy to grow discouraged in such circumstances. It's easy to be discouraged in those areas of life that have not turned out the way that we thought they would be. Even the greatest Old Testament prophet Elijah suffered discouragement because of this. Uh, this is really one of the craziest stories to me. Do you know this story? Do you remember when, um, right after Elijah had been so incredibly full of faith and courage, he challenged the king of Israel and 950 false prophets to a challenge. Um, to see who worshipped the real God. And after the false prophets couldn't get their gods to light their wooden altar on fire, right? Shocker. Um, then Elijah just kind of prays for a moment and God sends fire from heaven and consumes even the water that had been dumped on his altar. <clears throat> Can you imagine the faith in God and encouragement that Elijah must have felt in that time? Yet right after that, King Ahab's wife, Jezebel, hears about it and sends a messenger to Elijah saying she's going to kill him for that. King Ahab's wife. Now, it seems to me in light of what had just happened, Elijah would have gotten the message from the messenger. I appreciate that. Pulled out his pen and on the back of the letter wrote huge letters like, bring it, woman. Yeah. You're right? I mean, like, you want to mess with this? Come on. I got fire from heaven, you know? I mean, like, and yet, you know what happens? Discouragement. This major prophet doing incredible things was his heart and mind were filled with fear. He runs away into the desert. He's so discouraged, he asked God to kill him. Isn't that amazing? Our hearts can do that. 
Don't you relate with that? So full of courage in one moment and then so weak in another. So crazy to me, yet I can relate. And one source of discouragement found in these areas of our lives is when we think or feel, man, that sure didn't work out like I thought it would. With such expectations of love and intimacy in my marriage, my marriage just isn't what I thought it would be. With such labor to parent well and apply godly principles, they aren't turning out like I thought they would. I feel called to this job, but it's not what I thought it would be. I feel called to be involved with this ministry, but it's sure not as fruitful as I thought it would be. Or maybe it's your physical health. It's just sure not what you thought it would be. Or our country sure isn't what it should be with such division and moral uncertainty. Such unmet expectations easily become sources of discouragement in our lives. And like I said in the beginning in this point, there's many more sources that I haven't mentioned, um, such as like things like unrepentant sin. Mike mentioned that. can grieve the, the Holy Spirit and bring this godly discouragement meant to turn us, cause us to repent back to God. Um, sometimes it's just unidentifiable, Right? I'm just discouraged. I don't even know why. That happens so much with me. Um, Psalm 42, 11 popped up on my phone this morning. I got a verse a day from an app. And if Psalm 42, 11 says, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Right? You know that Psalm 42, 11? He asks why because he doesn't know why. <laughs> why am I so downcast? I don't know. But whatever your source might be, God has provided ways to battle and endure that discouragement. And that's what we are called to do. So let's look at some of those ways, the ways to endure discouragement. Okay, I'm going to give two ways here. Again, there are other ways. Um, but two that are clear from our text. One, you've got to remember something. And two, you've got to do something. Remember and do something. Okay, remember something. Uh, verse 14, going forward from verse 14, uh, it would be a great scene in a movie. A great scene. I'm so surprised. Maybe there is a movie about Nehemiah, but I hadn't seen it. Nehemiah looks out and sees the people really discouraged. And he, it says that he arose and gathered all the people. And I can just see him up on a huge rock, maybe on the wall that they've built already. Maybe there's a great speech, or maybe it was just this one sentence. He says in 14, Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight. Remembering is so important. He starts with that. Remember. Remembering is so important in all of life. Even in the trivial things, right? I mean, it's my anniversary yesterday. Thank you, 11 years. Um, um, can you imagine if Miriam woke me up in the morning? She's like, ah, oh, today's so special. I'm so excited. I'm like, what are you? What? Ah, my delicious Saturday morning pancakes. That's it, you know? Our anniversary. I mean, even in trivial things, remembering is really important. But it's so crucial in the Christian life. So much of the Christian life is, 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 should come down to remembering something. The call is given throughout the Bible to God's people over and over, especially when it comes to potential discouragement, to call to mind something, even when you know it's true, to remember who God is, His past faithfulness and future promises. And I think so much of our discouragement life comes when we do more listening to what others are saying about ourselves, to, about who we are, and what we can or can't do than, we, than, than remembering. 
preaching to ourselves that we have a God that is so great. We have a great and awesome God. And there's nothing that He cannot do. And when we do this, when we don't remember, our, peop- our people and our problems become big. And our God is small. Ed Welch wrote a book with that title, When People are big and God is small. And one of his main conclusions is that without the fear, without remembering the fear of God in your life, the fear of man will flourish. The command to remember is throughout the Bible. For example, Moses in Deuteronomy 14 times tells the people to remember before they go into the promised land. Don't be afraid of them, he says in one verse, but remember what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and all to Egypt. If you don't remember, you've got problems coming. Remember how he cleaned house in the most powerful nation of the world. Remember. Isaiah tell God, tells God's people, look at this verse. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning. Now listen to this. If you already have pointed out a source of discouragement in your life, um, just put this verse over that. <laughs> I am God, and there is no other. I am God, there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, the things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand. I will accomplish all my purpose. Nehemiah tells them here in verse 14, Stop listening to what they say. Don't let your mind wander. Don't be afraid. Remember the Lord. He is great and awesome. Not them. In verse 20, he reminds them, Our God will fight for us. John Bunyan did this to fight discouragement while he was in prison. Once he wrote this, he said, It is not what enemies will, nor what they will are resolved upon, but what God will, what God appoints. That shall be done. No enemy can bring suffering upon a man when the will of God is otherwise. You hear what he's just saying? God is awesome and great. This is why in Pilgrim's Progress, when they... They escape giant despair in Downing Castle when Christian, you remember what happens? He remembers that he had a, all along he has a key named promise around his neck that can unlock any lock in Downing Castle. In the comments of his book down below, Bunyan wrote this, the promises of God in Christ are the life of faith and the quick, quickeners of prayer. How often do we neglect God's great and precious promises in Christ Jesus while doubts and despair keep us prisoners? There's a calling here. To the next time you get discouraged, maybe it's now, to identify how much, you're listen, how much listening you're doing and how much remembering you're doing. Are you allowing God's word to speak into that area? We can't speak discouragement away, but we can begin to drown it out by sitting down, reading, recalling to mind our great and awesome God and his precious promises. Jesus once spoke to, to the discouragement of his disciples like this. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled, in John 14. What was his solution? Kind of a synonym for remember? Believe in me. Believe in God, he says. Believe in God. Believe also in me. You know what he's doing? He's, he's saying, remember, God knows our troubled hearts. He knows... I mean, we lay naked and exposed before God with all our feelings of fears. I'm not good enough. I can't do this task. Remember that with our relationship with God, 
Remember that with our relationship with God completely in ruins because of our sin against him, that he still set out to rebuild it? Remember this. Remember that Jesus is no doubt the greater Nehemiah who set out not only to risk his life, but to give his life for you. Not only to endure mocking and suffering and shame, to re- just not to rebuild a wall or a city, but to rebuild a kingdom and to redeem a people to himself. Nehemiah was a great leader who rebuilt walls, who protected the Jews for a few centuries even. But Jesus is the great leader who built a wall of salvation, guaranteeing God's love and his favor and his good worked for us in this heavenly life, in this life until we reach the heavenly city for all of eternity. Remembering is so important, especially in times of discouragement. We've got to remember that. Lastly, we have not only to remember something, we have to do something. We have to do something. See, Nehemiah was a man who remembered God was sovereign and great, but that did not diminish in the least bit his resolve to do his part. So for one, Nehemiah was constantly stopping to pray, like in verses 4 and 5. After being mocked, Nehemiah bows his head and simply prays basically that God would take care of them. God, you got that. Nehemiah prayed often and expected God to hear and answer and give courage or whatever else was needed. And and we need people praying for us in times of discouragement, in in those seasons. We also need to learn the the value of just the short prayers, the short sentence prayers. He did, Nehemiah does this um, here in this chapter. He also did it in chapter 2. Do you remember when he goes, I think Mike preached on this, in chapter 2 he goes to talk to the king. Um, The king asks what he wants in verse 4 in chapter 2 says that Nehemiah pauses, almost mid-sentence. It says, and I prayed to the God of heaven. And he raises and then he answers the king. We need to learn the value of just stopping and praying short prayers. If only... God help. God give light. God encourage me now. I mean, you know a scenario I cannot imagine happening? Here's one. If my seven-year-old daughter came to me discouraged about something, said, Daddy, I'm really sad, and, and, and then me saying back to her, I'm, Avery, I'm going to need a little bit more than that. How about, oh, Father, Husband of my mommy who bore me from the womb. Would you be so gracious to descend to the depths of my heart and understandeth my ways. Although I'm undeserving because of my sin. Oh, sure now. Sure now I'll help. Let us come before God often in mid-sentence, mid-car rides and ask him for help. But then we see Nehemiah he prayed and then he got to work. In no way did a strong trust and faith in a sovereign God over the situation diminish his calling to endure, to press on and do the work God had called him to do. In verse 9, we have an awesome example of living in that tension. Look at verse 9. It says, we prayed to our God and we set up a protection against them day and night. 
Verse 14, we read the same thing. Remember the great and awesome Lord and fight. Verse 15, God had frustrated their plan, so we return to our work. Return to the wall, each to his work. Verse 20 and 21, our God will fight for us. So we labored at the work, and half of them held the spears. It must have been an awesome sight to behold. Absolute trust in God and absolute pure resolve to endure the discouragement and complete, accomplish the task that God had given them to build the wall. A friend and mentor to C.S. Lewis named George MacDonald once wrote, Fold the hands of faith and wait in quietness until light goes up in thy darkness. Fold the arms of faith, I say, but not of thy action. If you think something that ought to be done, then go do it. If it be just the sweeping of the room, the preparing of a meal, or visiting a friend, heed not thy feelings, do thy work. Don't you love that? Heed not your feelings, do your work. Man, we'd be saved from a lot of discouragement if we spoke back and just simply say, God, I'm thankful. In times of discouragement, God, I praise you. God, I'm going to go about my work. I'm going to press forward even though I'm discouraged. We simply shouldn't let our feelings of discouragement govern us and prevent us from acting on what God's calling is in our, our lives. In other words, if God's calling you, listen, if God is calling you to rebuild a, a difficult relationship, if he's, called to, if he's calling to rebuild a difficult relationship, pray and then step, take a step towards that person, even today. If God's calling you to step out of your comfort zone in an area or a task, pray and step forward. If he's calling you to really do battle with specific sin in your life, pray and step forward. Gouge out an eye if you have to. It does not diminish your calling to do something. God is calling us to trust and rest in him and to take courage and do something, work in his power and in his strength. Doing something, in fact, is often a means of dissipating the discouragement. Uh, Let me close by just telling you a story I heard about a week and a half ago. A guy named Walter Carr. Some of you may have heard this story going around the internet. He graduated from high school in May in Birmingham, Alabama. He got a summer job working for a moving company, but the day before his first uh, assignment uh, uh, came about, his, his car broke down. And where many would grow really discouraged, I know I would, um, he decided to walk 20 miles to get to the job. So the job was in the morning, and he started walking the night before. And about 4 a.m., the police picked him up after walking through the night, and they, when they heard the story, they took him to get breakfast to a church to get a little rest. Uh, but he, he asked, he said, I just want to, let me go ahead over to the house and start on early at the house. Um, the family he helped to move was so touched by his endurance, they set up a GoFundMe to help fund his college that he was hoping to go to in the fall, start of the fall. The owner of the moving company heard about it, And he was so encouraged by it, he drove down and actually gave Walter his own vehicle. 
And Walter was in an interview. He was asked about the whole thing. And he, he said this. He said, this was the first job in a long time to give me an opportunity to get hired. I wanted to show that them I got the dedication. I said, I'm going to get to this job one way or another. I want people to know this. No matter what the challenge is, you can break through the challenge. Nothing is impossible unless you make it impossible. You can do anything you set your mind to. Now, that may sound like moralistic encouragement. But listen how he continues. He said, I've got God on my side. Without him, I wouldn't be here. God blessed me to be a blessing. Whatever challenges God puts in front of me, I know it's for a reason. You hear his trust. You hear his, you see his action. Almost like a modern day Nehemiah, he remembered God was for him and on his side. He remembered God is a great and awesome God and even bad things happen for a reason and that gave him encouragement to endure possible discouragement. So I just leave you this with this. Whatever your source of discouragement this morning or when discouragement comes, let us go from here remembering that if your faith is in Christ, God is the great and awesome God who is on your side, demonstrating it through giving his own son and his life for you. Take courage and move into all that he has called you to. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace towards us as you are the great and awesome God. And I pray that in any area those might be ones here might be discouraged in, we pray that they would be given courage to endure it and to move forward with your strength and your energy and your power and that you would dissipate the discouragement so that you get the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.